Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. get started. My name's Will. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm not typically the primary uh, preaching pastor. I'm the youth guy, as you can see by the slide behind you. You can't take the youth out of the pastor. Um, and, and we are going to be in the book of Hosea. You can go ahead and start flipping there. Feel free to use your table of contents. No JV here. It is right after Daniel, which is where we have been. And next week, uh, Brad's going to be kicking off a new series in First Timothy. That being said, um, we, being the, the pastors, the church, have a, a dedication to preaching through a book of the Bible. So when Brad finishes a book of the Bible last week and starts a book of the Bible next week, it puts me in this wonderful position of having to do what we have tried to get you to drink the Kool-Aid to prevent us from having to do, and that has come up with one-off sermons, which are way more complicated. It's always easier when you guys are like, no, we preach through the Bible, man, I love it. And in the back office, we're like, it's so much easier, right? Like, We'll just do next chapter next week. It's going to be great. But it, it is good. It is healthy. Um, it's not just easier. It's good and it's healthy. That being said, we're going to have uh, this morning a crash course on the book of Hosea. There's no way I, I could work through the entire thing um, in one morning. That being said, it, it really is just a dozen plus chapters. You'd be able to read it devotionally in the next couple of days if you wanted to. Um, and, and, and as we do so, we're going to be looking at a family name. Um, that, that, that's kind of the subtitle. I, I want to talk about the perks of being in the family of God and then simply put a sales pitch if you are not. Why is it that if you are not a believer, people walk in this room all the time that are not trusting in Christ or maybe you think you are, why is it, what, what is a sales pitch that I would give you to tell you that it, it would be good and wise for you to throw yourself into the family of God? And this is, in my opinion, one of the most emotional passages where we see the heart of God toward his children, toward his family. And what's so beautiful about this is that I think it'll mutually strengthen us, cause us to hate our sin, want to glorify God, and at the same time endear our hearts to a God that really, really loves us. So let me, let me just give you a heads up before we start reading. Um, we're going to start in a very, very low, deep place. So the trajectory of the sermon is going to start here, is going to end there. That's at least my goal. I, I pray that that's what the Holy Spirit does and we just don't stay down in the bottom. But a, a, as we kind of move up, I want us to see a God that has always been there, a God that has always loved. Sort of like when you walk, when you were a kid um, and you walked in your dad's office and you realized that little drawing that you made was up on his wall or it was sitting on his desk and you're like, I didn't even know. Like, I made that, and I can think of one that I did uh, when I was in elementary school, and like many, many years later, went in my dad's office, and it was sitting there. I've got um, a couple of friends, and what they did is when their kids were born, they immediately got them uh, an email address, probably a Gmail, um, so that they would have it when they grew up. And then what they've been doing is sending emails to their kids, telling them how much they love them, and just talking to almost using it as a journal, so that when they're old enough and they want... Uh, an email address that doesn't say soccer kid 72, like they want something professional, you know, then they'll have it. And all this time they'll realize that their, their dad and that their mom had been loving them. So sort of along those lines, I want us to see that as we pour in. But we do have to start in a low spot because that's how we all start with God. Um, and, and hopefully we will see that just as uh, Brad was preaching through Daniel 
we, even if we believe in Christ today, we are exiles. However, there is a tomorrow for those of us who are hoping in Christ. I'd much rather be in exile temporarily and a family member forever than the other way around. So let's pray together and then we'll be in Hosea chapter 1 verse 2 is where I'm going to start. And the page numbers are on the screen if you grab one of the Bibles out from in front. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we get ready to open up your word, I pray first and foremost that we would recognize that it is just that, that it is your word. It's your word that breathes life into brokenness. It's your word that sustains those who are fainting. It's your word that lifts us up, that strengthens us, that is our daily bread, that is our living water. Father, I pray that your word would be exactly what it is. And therefore, really, Lord, as as we pour into this, it's not, it's not dependent upon your word. It's, it's in a sense dependent that your spirit would open up our hearts and our minds to be impacted by the power of the spoken word of God. And so, Father, as, as, we, as we begin to, to pour through these pages and look into a God who loves, looks into a God who sacrificially loves, Look into a God who is willing to go to the greatest extent to show his love, who is faithful to us. I pray, God, that you would, you would convict, that you would stretch, that you would strain our souls and our hearts and our minds this morning to desire to be more a part of the family of God. To be an active member, an active participant, a son and a daughter who runs long and headfast into an eternal, great, deep love of their Father. I pray, God, that we would know who you are, that we would know who we are, and that you would bring those two truths together in the beauty of the cross and your Son resurrected. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, guys, Hosea chapter 1. We're going to be in verse 2. Um, quick question. Do you like your name? Don't answer out loud. You might have somebody sitting next to you that gave it to you. Um, a name is a funny thing because it means a lot about you. Uh, it, it is very much a part of you and you had nothing to do with it. Unless you're a hip-hop artist or a professional athlete that decided, I think I'll change this up now. Then most likely, one of the biggest things about you has nothing to do with the decision you made. When I was in high school, uh, I was at Hardaway and um, I decided my ninth grade year to change my name from William to Will. It was not a dramatic change by any, by any stretch, but it felt dramatic to me because in my mind, William was the guy in a science lab. William was science Olympiad, academic decathlon, which was a little more accurate. And Will was the guy who was like on the motorcycle, right? Like it was hipper, it was cooler. If you wanted to date the cheerleader, you went with Will, if you wanted to get, you know, into a, a really good college, you just stuck with William. I went ahead and I went with Will. And I dated the cheerleader and married her. It worked out quite well, actually. That being said, I knew I wanted to change something up about my name. What do you think about your... All of our kids have weird names. There's a reason behind it. We're not just trying to be, I don't know. Um, I, I, I'm not trying to isolate anybody here. I wasn't trying to seem Brookstoney. Does that make sense? Like, why is it all the Brookstone kids have the coolest names? I don't know. Um, but, but all of our kids have very weird names. There's a reason. Uh, and, and I will tell you, as I begin reading Hosea, if they want to change their name one day, you know, they can deal with their mom on that. But 
they have much better names than what we're about to read at the beginning of Hosea. They can only complain so much. All right, Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. Remember, I warned you, we're going to start a little bit deep, a little bit dark. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. I warned you. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now Hosea, if you look at the verb in the Hebrew that makes up Hosea, it's actually the same verb where uh, Joshua gets his name. And it's the same verb where Jesus' name is derived from. And that means to save. So as we're looking at this very, very dark picture where God basically says to Hosea, hey, I want you to go and marry a woman who I am telling you ahead of time is going to go and fool around with other men in your marriage. I'm telling you this ahead of time. There is this beautiful little underpinning of hope that Hosea's name means to save or to deliver. God is using Hosea as an image. He's saying to Hosea, Hosea, you are going to see, feel, and touch, and experience as I do what it feels like when my people turn against me. Now, let's hit pause before we read the names of these kids. And let me just say, there is no way to read this text and adultery not come up. You just can't do it. I can't breeze past it. There's no way to be faithful to this text and not allow adultery to come up. That being said, just a a comment. I recognize in a room this big, adultery is a very serious issue. It's affected some of you in this room. It's affected, considering our divorce rate, it's probably affected a fair number of you. There's a reason marriage isn't taken as seriously in our culture as it used to be. My message is not on adultery, but one of all the images that God could have used, of all the metaphors that God could have used to display the way his heart feels when his bride, when his people, those who repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus, who were admitted into his name, he could have come up with any illustration that would stand for all time in his word. Adultery is what he comes up with. That's what God chose because of how destructive it is. Because of how many it hurts and unfortunately how common it is. But, number two, it's redeemable. There's great forgiveness and we're going to read about that. Adultery is a redeemable thing. If your marriage has been through that, if you've struggled through that, if you've come out on the other side of that, this text is not meant to plunge you back in. Instead, You should find great hope and encouragement at the redeeming love of God. But, like, be warned. This is God's word. It's not a game to God. Your marriage, your relationship is not a game to God. His word makes that very, very abundantly clear. If you're in an adulterous relationship and you're considering uh, or, or, or getting on Facebook and emotionally you're a guy throwing your emotion into some other woman or a woman vice versa, if you're doing this, you need to understand that you can't just be like, well, God's going to forgive, God's going to forgive. That's presuming upon grace. And if we speak about God's grace that way, then it is probably not a grace that is being afforded to us. That's not the way people in God's family talk. 
I just need to say that. You need to hear that because that would be God's heart to you. Again, starting a little deep. All right, let's start coming up. Here we go. So he went and he took Gomer. Verse 4. And the Lord said to him, call the, the first child is a boy, call his name Jezreel. For in just a little while, I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel. And I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. The first child is named, I will punish. Check out verse 6. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, call her name no mercy. There's some people in this room named Mercy. It's a very different thing if you name your daughter No Mercy. Very, very different. Like, don't get that wrong. There's a little girl about to be born named Grace. Very different thing than Grace and No Grace. It goes on, it says, For I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel. And then verse 8. And when she had weaned No Mercy, so it's like back to back, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, this to me is the most heartbreaking, call his name, not my people, lo ami. And by the way, isn't it interesting that it, like here we don't even have it in the Hebrew. The, they want to make it so clear what the, what the name means that we're reading it in English from the text and not having to do it, but it's the other way around. Call his name, not my people, for you are not my people and I am not your God. Can you imagine growing up and your name being not mine? That being the way that your father refers to you. Hey, not mine. Come over here. Hey, not mine. It's time to get cleaned up for dinner. Not a part. Not my people. You are not my people and I am not your God. This is how it began for all of us who were born human. Not my people. But this is also what God calls those who claim to be his, but their hearts are far from Christ. You are not my people. We do have this underpinning of hope. Verse 10, yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of of the living God and the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and they shall appoint themselves one head. So we start in deep darkness and really there's no movement from there. The only movement that we have from there is this hope that Hosea means to deliver and to save. This hope that God, notice that he mentioned his people will be as numerous as the sand on the seashore. That is pointing back to anybody who is, who's been reading the Bible all the way back to Genesis where he talks to Abram, who God renamed Abraham. And he says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And God is pointing back and he's saying, there is still this promise that I have made you, but we are left hanging. Hosea is left hanging. Is this thing going to be redeemable? Is it going to be rescuable? My name means to deliver, but can this jacked up relationship be deliverable? Because what you need to understand is Gomer was that some people uh, believe that Gomer was a prostitute. That's not the case. If you read the text, their marriage started great. Just like most of the marriages in this room. And then it went somewhere along the lines, horribly, horribly awry. And God is saying, it's the same way with my people. And maybe you can personalize this thought. It started really, really great. And then somewhere it went awry. Will God take, I will punish. 
Will God take no mercy? Will he take not mine and turn them into his children, even though they run hard and fast against him in the other direction? I will punish what we deserve. No mercy, what we deserve. Not my child, what we deserve. Now let's start coming up. I want you to see God's heart. This is one of my favorite things about the book of Hosea is how we get to see and feel the way God feels. So we're going to move all the way to chapter 11. Go ahead and flip there now. And as you do, let me just say this. You may have walked into this place and had no relationship with God whatsoever. All I'm asking is this. I, I, it doesn't matter to me if you've been walking with God your entire life. Or this is the first time that you've walked into a church and you're kind of debating this whole God and Jesus thing. Would you just consider, as I read this next passage out of chapter 11, that maybe there's a God who's been watching over you. And you didn't even realize it. Maybe... There's a God that's been protecting you. Maybe there's a God that's been taking care of every step, assuring that you would walk into this building today to hear his word. Maybe there is a God behind all things that loves you. Would you just consider that as I read to you Hosea chapter 11? Verse 1. God's heart towards his kids who have run away. When Israel was a child I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Think about Moses in the Red Sea, verse 2. But the more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idol, idols. Think about Mount Sinai. God is giving his word to his people. And while he's doing it, they're creating this golden calf. Something else to throw their heart and their passion and their energy toward. The more they were called, the more they went away. Verse 3. But it was I who taught Ephraim how to walk. Ephraim's another name uh, for his people here. I taught him how to walk. I took them up by their arms. You think about, for those of you who have kids, when they're running at you and they've got their arms out and how your hands just fit right underneath their arms and you lift them up. That's the picture of God thinking back to when his relationship with his children was good because they wanted to be with their father. I, I lifted them up by their arms, halfway down verse 3, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness. It's a, sort of like, a strap that you would lead um, a, a wayward sheep or, or an animal. I led them with cords of kindness, with bands of love. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke. I, I took the weight, the wood that was on them. I eases the yoke on their jaws and I bent down to them and I fed them. That They didn't know that it was me all the time, but there I was. I, I didn't use whips. I, I didn't use chains. I didn't drive them from behind and push them forward. I even took the yoke off of them. I walked alongside them. I didn't, I didn't push them. I, I didn't push them in, in a way that they would crumble under the weight of what I was calling them to do. Think about all of the things that God calls us to do. How so often can feel like a weight that we just, that, that we crumble underneath. And yet God is saying here, no, 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 no. It's this gentle wooing and leading and walking you in a way that will cause you to be healthy and good provided for by me. That's the way that I led them. I gently led them. I bent down to them and fed them. Think about manna falling. Think about quail coming into 
the camp, water springing out of a rock. God is kneeling down to feed his people. You hear the heart of God as Hosea wrestles with a woman that has run away to other passions? Can you hear the heart of a God who is going after his people that are supposed to be his kids that he cared for, that he nourished, that he took care of their boo-boos, that he lifted in his arms, that he fed from his hand? We, um, uh, we just had a baby goat a few weeks ago, um, and it's a, it's a cute little one, and that goat has a mom, so things are good. We bought a goat about, I don't know, I always get things wrong, three months ago, four months ago, okay. Um, I, my wife gives me these, like, at the end of the sermon, accuracy tech, like, tests, and if I get something wrong, even if it's not pertinent to the point, she's like, yeah, that was way off. I was like, yeah, but they know God loves them, right? And she said, yeah, they know God. Okay. So, so we, we, get, we got this goat. I hate telling people sometimes what we name our goats because the kids name them. Uh, and, and so this goat's name is Cutie Q, which makes me feel really manly like a farmer. Um, and so Cutie Q wasn't gaining weight. Uh, we didn't realize that the, the guy who sold her to us had taken her from her mom too soon. And, and she was scared. She, she kind of whined whenever we would try to pick her up and would run from us. And we realized that she wasn't gaining weight, that, that she wasn't healthy. As a family, we started feeding her. We started mixing up these, you know, those really expensive, you go to the pet store and it can't be, I don't know what's in that stuff, but you pay for it. And you mix it up and you start feeding this animal. And from that moment, everything changed. That, that goat that ran from us, that cried, that didn't really want anything to do with us, all of a sudden, it wanted nothing more than to be with us. And now we have to be careful when we drive home to dodge the thing because it hears the truck coming and it's like, Daddy, Daddy. And it runs out into the middle of the road and we're like, right? Like trying not to kill this goat that we've like hand raised. And if you open the door, it just like runs around and jumps in and puts goat poop all over your car because it's like, you fed me. You're my dad. I'm a part of the family. Why did y'all leave earlier? Where's my car seat? Right? Like, that's the way the goat's thinking. It's this this teeny little thing. All because we fed it by hand. I, I say that to say, that's a normal response. What God is getting, what Hosea is getting, is not a normal response. They are responding, uh, chapter 13, verse 2. If you go ahead and flip there now. But how do they respond when God feeds them by their hand? Do they jump in the car? Do they feel like part of the family? No, no, no. Verse 2. And now they sin more and more. And they make for themselves metal images, idols skillfully made of their silver. All of them, the works of craftsmen. God's word goes into effort to say, you're spending time and money and energy on this thing that is going in the opposite direction. It is said of them, of my kids, those who offer human sacrifice, kiss calves. How far they've gone. Therefore, they shall be like the morning mist or like the dew that goes early away or like the shaft that swirls from the threshing floor or like smoke from a window. They will dissipate and they will fade away. But I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me and besides me there is no Savior. It was I who knew you in the wilderness in the land of drought. But, now think about yourself here. But when they had grazed, they became full. They were filled and their heart was lifted up. Therefore, they forgot me. 
I fed them and gently led them. And as they grew, they became more dependent on themselves. Even though I walked ahead of them, they didn't appreciate it. I would bring them food and it became expected. And they filled their stomachs with whatever else would satisfy. And they forgot me. That's, that's, that is God's heart. So what does God do? He does the same thing that I do when my children forget the very things that they need to know to protect them and keep them and watch out for them. God disciplines them. This is verse 9. He destroys you, O Israel, for you are against me, against your helper. When, 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 our, kids, um, when our kids disobey and I'm at my best, which isn't always... And I'm not angry. I'm legitimately trying to, to discipline for the good of my child. This is how I try to do it. I, I, I try to get across to them, you're against me, against your helper. You're against the one that is actually trying to shape you into a man or into a woman that loves God. You're against the very thing that you should be for. And so the discipline doesn't come out of anger. The discipline doesn't come out of this desire for it. No, the discipline comes so that they would not dissipate and forget me, that they would not forget their God, but instead be brought back in. God's difficulty, God brings difficulty so that we would be brought back in. When he's wronged, when he's forgotten, when the love that should be freely given to him by his bride is poured into another. We're going to finish with Hosea here, chapter 14. So what does God do? What does he do? Number one, he calls them to return. Verse one, chapter 14. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Isn't it a great thing that God calls them back? Isn't it great when a parent goes to a child and says, come back? This is the prodigal story before Jesus told us the prodigal story. It's what you're reading. It's the pre-prodigal. He calls them to return. And they return humble. Verse 2. Take with you words and return to the Lord. What he's saying is, think about what you're going to say before you go. Right? You do this. If you screw something up at work or with your wife or something along those lines, you think about what you're going to say before you show up. You don't just show up and say, hey, I'm sorry. And they're like, why? And then you're like, oh, because I feel it. No, you're like, I'm sorry for this, and, and, and I didn't handle this right. Like, you think about it, and that's what God's word is saying. Think about what you're going to say before you go. Take away all iniquity. This is halfway down verse 2. Accept what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Now, that, that language is different than what we'd use. But what's happening here is somebody is bringing an offering. I've spent all this time and money and energy in making an idol now. I realize the, the, the brokenness of that. I'm going to spend time and energy and money. I'm going to bring this bull and I'm going to sacrifice it as a sign of my, my desire to repent of my sin. And then what would happen is this, this is so cool, is that bull would be sacrificed, but then it would be eaten as a meal in the presence of God, sort of like being invited back to the family table. That's what's happening here. Verse 3. He calls them to return. They return humble and God fulfills his commitment to them. Hosea in chapter 3 will go after his wife, will pay for the woman to buy, to buy back the woman who has willingly left him in the dust. He will redeem her and so does God. Assyria shall not save us, verse 3. We will not ride on horses. I know that probably doesn't make a lot of sense. What they're basically saying is, I'm not going to trust in anything else. 
I'm not going to trust in some other power. I'm not going to trust in some other strength. I'm not going to trust in anything but God. And we will say no more our God to the work of our hands. This is my favorite part. And by the way, my favorite part of the sermon. They're his kids, but this is what they say to God. In you, the orphan finds mercy. They realize that they are so far apart from God that they know they don't even desire to be or deserve to be called his kid. So they don't. They say, would you accept me as an orphan? Your word says that you love the orphan. And how does God do this? This is the gospel. He comes down and fulfills their commitment for them. God came down and placed on himself the yoke that we deserve. Verse 4, I will heal. Just come. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely. I never stopped loving them, but it couldn't just be bowling and going to the trampoline park and talking about how wonderful life is when they were running away from me. I had to discipline, but now I can love you freely. Things are good. Verse five, it will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom. You're gonna flourish now, child. Verse six, his shoots shall spread out. You're gonna flourish, you're gonna spread out, and the world is gonna know that you're my kid. That's what it's supposed to look like. For us to flourish and people know that we're God's kid. And that doesn't always mean financially. That doesn't always mean relationally. It doesn't mean that we're going to flourish. That everything that we touch all of a sudden turns to gold. But what it does simply mean is that people look and they realize when things are good, that guy loves God. And when things are bad, that guy loves God. He hasn't filled himself with other passions and turned his head to other things. When they look, they realize that there is something there of substance worth going to. Worth looking at. Philippians 2. It'll appear if you don't want to flip, but it's worth the flip. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. God came down to the orphan. Philippians 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and check this out, and bestowed on him the name, the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, the one who delivers, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Lamb comes down and takes the place of us. Takes the burden that he should have placed on us and if we believe in him, his willing death, his victory over sin, his death and resurrection, then the one who deserves the yoke, the one who deserves the weight, the one who deserves those bands, those cords of wrath that we've wrapped ourselves up in that would choke us out for all eternity, the one who deserves the wood instead gets mercy and grace and peace and a step further is admitted into the family of God, is adopted into the family of God. How cool is that? How cool is that? The, 
I will punish, remember the kid's name, I will punish becomes I have punished. It's already paid for. No mercy becomes, there's no lack of mercy. Not mine becomes mine forever. God exalted him and gave him the name that's above every other name. And it is not a name, thinking back to Hosea, that says punishment or no mercy. It's not a name that says, not my child. Welcome to the family, you're adopted. How cool is that? When uh, I, this, uh, this next verse I'm going to go to, I, I was talking about this when we were in Uganda. You just saw the picture of Pastor Raphael, the pastor of that church. And when I was talking to them about being brought into the family of God and how the family of God crosses cultures and we were meeting an hour separate from when you guys were meeting on Sunday morning, I cannot tell you how much they love you guys at that church. I can't get, they don't even know you, but they love you. And it's not because of money. It's not, it's not like we as Crosspoint have just poured a ton of money into it. That's not the case at all. We, we, we've, they don't want money. You know what they want? They want Brad to come over and do pastor's conferences so that they can have good, healthy teaching from God's word. That's what they want. They want people to come and love on kids that don't receive love. They want people to come and show up and sort of be a dad to a kid who has never and will never have a dad. That's what they get pumped and excited about. And when I was reading over this to them, that they, thinking of you, thinking about the universal family of God, they loved it. They loved it. This is, this is why we read in Romans 8. It's going to appear um, behind you. It's why we read in Romans 8. Find it. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Remember, the t- I didn't drive you. I didn't push you. I didn't put the yoke on you. In fact, I took the yoke off of you. We did not receive a spirit of slavery or fear, but the spirit of adoption as sons. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. We know it within us that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him. In order that we may also be glorified with him. We are still in exile. But my family is forward. My father is waiting. My brother, my king, Jesus is waiting and he's calling me forward to him. Many of you guys know that we adopted uh, about seven months ago, eight months ago. Yeah, eight months ago. Um, and when we did, we gave our daughter a new name. I'm, I think she will like her new name more than her old considering she's growing up in America. I don't expect her to get to high school and be like, hey guys, I'm going to be going with Fang. If y'all would just go ahead and pick up on that, that'd be great. It'd be, if y'all would call it that. When, when we adopted her, we gave her a new name. And the moment she got that name legally, everything in her life changed. She, she had all the rights. There's not a whole lot in the Hawk name. Um, the, she, she did become a U.S. citizen, which is pretty major. Um, the, she, she, she got a house, which is great. Um, she got her own room, which she had never had before. She got brothers. She got... Uh, this is part of the birthright of every hawk child, a candy drawer, um, which is in the kitchen located near one of the back doors. That's her favorite part of being part of our family right now. But bigger than that, she got the opportunity to hear the gospel, which is likely that she will not, she, she would not have heard. That's what happened when she got a new name. 
And Isaiah says the same thing to us. Isaiah chapter 62. This is going to be the last one I ask you to flip to, if you would. Isaiah chapter 62. You can think about this individually. God's really talking about his people as a whole. Isaiah chapter 62, verse 2. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. Verse 4. You shall no longer be termed forsaken. Your land shall no longer be termed desolate. But you shall be called My delight is in her. What a beautiful contrast to not mine all the way to my delight is in her. A name's a big deal. I don't know what you think about yours. But God changes the the names of Abram to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah, Jacob to Israel. In fact, in Luke 1, God says, Zechariah, you have to name your kid this, right? Right? I, I'm trying to think of how many of the names I came up with for our kids. I really think my wife did more of the heavy lifting on that, except for number two. Um, but back then, it was a big deal. And the husband, in fact, they went to Zechariah, and because Zechariah didn't have faith initially, he was mute for a time. And they go, and they're like, what are we supposed to call this kid? And he writes down on a tablet, his name is John, because that is what God told him, because he was going to be the one that prepared the way as Jesus came. This is my favorite name change in the Bible. Just watch the screen as as I jump. Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Tech team, you're going to have to be on top of on this. Here we go. Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab. Notice, the first thing they say about Rahab is that she's a prostitute. And the second thing that kind of comes along later is that her name was Rahab. Hey, there's this woman, she's a prostitute, and her name is Rahab. It is combined. Joshua chapter 6, verse 22. But the two men who had spied out the land... But to the two men, Joshua said, go into Rahab's house? Nah, go into the prostitute's house. Drop down to verse 25. But Rahab, well, which Rahab? Rahab the prostitute. Everywhere in the Bible, Rahab and the prostitute are combined. Doesn't matter Old Testament, go to the New Testament. Hebrews 11, 31. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome. Now it's praising her and yet... The name remains. Rahab the prostitute. James 2. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by her. Again, praising her for what she did. Everywhere in scripture. Old Testament, New Testament. Cover to cover. Rahab and her sin are indelibly marked. Except in one place. Matthew chapter 1. In Matthew chapter 1 We have the family of Jesus, the lineage of Jesus. And here's what we read. By the way, this verse, even though it's my favorite, probably of the entire sermon, is not one that you're going to memorize. Because there's nothing but weird names, and you jump in right in the middle. But Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. And Solomon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse, 
Jesse, on and on to King David. Rahab, when placed in the family of God, loses her brokenness. You see that? All throughout the Bible, it's Rahab and her brokenness. And it's the same thing with me. It's will the blank. It's will the selfish. It's will the this. And it's the same with you. It's you the blank. You the this. You the that. And let's be honest, our lines are much longer than one. And yet, when Rahab is placed in the family of God, the, the brokenness is scrubbed away. And her new name has wiped away from her her brokenness. She's just Rahab. How would you not know who she is? I don't need to add who she was because of what God has done in her life. There's no room in God's family for that brokenness, so he cleanses it. One last verse. Revelations 2. Revelations 2, verse 17. Remember what I read from Romans. It ended by saying, heirs of God with Christ provided that we suffer with him. Being in God's family means work. There's no room in God's family for sitting on the couch and eating Doritos. God's family is a family that is on mission. A family that is finding children who do not have a father and bringing them from the orphanage of the world to the home, the house of God, the church. It's what we do. Revelations 2, 17 says this. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one that conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will feed them by my own hand in a way that they don't even realize yet. And I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. You're, you're going to be given hidden manna. You're going to be fed by my own hand, thinking all the way back to Hosea. You're going to be given a white stone with a new name. And it's not going to say Rahab the prostitute. That's going to be scrubbed off. And it's going to be put on a stone that's going to last forever. It's not put on parchment. It's not put on something that's going to fade. Your new name given by God is eternal and it will last. And what's so cool about this is how they used white stones in that culture. They were used two different ways. Number one, if there was a court case and somebody was, um, some charge was being levied against them and the people listening were debating whether or not they were guilty or innocent, they were given two stones, one white and one black, so that they could anonymously vote white, not guilty, black, guilty. And they would walk past a jar or a basket and they would anonymously drop in their vote. Your name is written on your acquittal. Your name is written on the eternal reminder that says you're not guilty. That's cool. And then the second thing that would happen is a white stone. We've got the Olympics going right now, right? Everybody go for the gold, this thing. If you win, you get this super chunky gold medal. Not back then, you got a rock, okay? Different time, okay? But it was a white rock, and that white rock served as your token, as your entrance into the banquet of the victors at the end of the game. You see where this is going? When it was all said and done, those who had done well were given this token into the banquet of the victors. 
And that is what is being said of those of us in the family of God. We are given this entrance into the eternal banquet of the Lamb. You're given a new name. You're brought into that family. And you're given a permanent reminder of not guilty. That's what God does for his kids. Let me give you three things to kind of write down as you leave from here. If you're in God's family, know and remember that God's love is boundless. There's a reason he told Hosea to go and find a wife that was going to fool around on him. Because God wanted us to know that for those of us who are trusting in him, there is never a point where we can't turn back. There's never a point where we can say, I don't deserve to be your child. But would you adopt me in? Would you bring me in? Would you be what your word says that you are and have a heart for the orphan? God's love is boundless. Secondly, God's love never ends. He's faithful to the faithless. This should cause thanks and repentance. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if when I say to you, he is faithful when, I, when, when we are faithless, and that causes you to say, okay, that's good to know. Like, it'll always be there. You need to repent of your sin. Because that's not really living in God's grace. That's living assuming God's grace. And if that's the case, you probably don't have any grace, to be honest with you. You're probably not in the family at all if that's the way that you're viewing it. Okay, um, I have a problem with a few songs. Most of them are Christmas songs because they're cultural and they sort of talk about Jesus, but not in a way that's real. This Christmas, I want you to remember this, okay? Because this is all I can think about. I'm going to sing a Christmas song to you to close out the sermon. I don't even know what song it's from, but when I hear it, it just makes my heart, like, get mad. Santa knows... And when's the last time Santa was breathing? Santa knows we're all God's children. That makes everything right. Are you kidding me? Is there any worse garbage you can spoon feed your kid? Santa knows we're all God's children. That makes everything right. Go ahead, punch your brother in the eye. Do whatever you want. Santa knows we're all God. But but here's the thing: it's not just Christmas. We're all God's children. Is this somehow? I don't know, thought or idea that's propelled from all sorts of pulpits that, hey, we're all God's kids. It's all good. And it's one of the stupidest things you could ever hear. And we're like, here, children, eat this. It'll be good. It's a joke. We're not all God's kids. We're orphans, all of us. And if anyone is God's kid, in fact, there is one. His name's Jesus. And that's the one who came so that orphans could become family members. God's faithful when we're faithless, but don't presume upon it. And then finally, God's love draws people in. If you are one of God's kids, if your adoption is real, if your life has been ransomed, if you've been given a stone with a new name written on it, then please, by all means, do not sit on the couch of God's house and eat Doritos. No, we spread, we flourish, we live lives worth looking at so that orphans of the world will be brought in. Invite people to church is what I'm saying because this is God's house. It's not God's house because of the walls. It's God's house because you're here. You're his kids. So that's where God is. But what if you're not in God's family? 
What if you're not sure? If you're not a Christian or if you're not sure, there is and has always been a God who's loved you. But you have to put down your adultery. You have to put down your idols and run to a heavenly father who wants to put his hands beneath your arms and lift you up. Who wants to take from you the cords of wrath and the yoke of slavery that you have placed on your own neck and put it on his son. He's willing to do this because he loves you. What I'm saying is, either live up to your new family name, or if you don't have one, come and get one. Hear the call of God. I'm going to pray and then we're going to take communion, which is fitting. Because it's a meal that God's family takes together to remember the one that gave them admittance into that family. If you are not a believer, this isn't for you. It doesn't make sense. Why would you sacrifice a bull for a sin that you don't seek to repent of? But if this is a meal that you feel God is drawing you towards, if even as I've been talking, you've been realizing, I don't know if I'm a believer, I don't know if I'm in the family of God, then I'll be here, Brad will be here, other pastors will be down here. Come down while other people are getting communion and get a family name that's worth having. Let's pray together. Father, as we close up this this little study through the book of Hosea, and we think about what it means to be in the family of God. As we prepare to hold in our hands the bread and the cup, may our eyes look to the one who took the wood, who took the yoke, who took the bands, who took the slavery, who took all of the brokenness so that we could be freely loved. And may our hearts just lift up and leap within us at the great thankfulness of the grace that has been given to us. And if any in this room are presuming upon grace, are thinking that they're good enough, are thinking that they don't need a new name, Father, would your Holy Spirit just crash in upon them and realize not just the perks, but the absolute necessity of being in the family of God. Father, lift us up and encourage us, propel us and shoot us out forward to remember that your love is boundless, that it never ends and that as such we should exhaust ourselves drawing people into your family. Would you do that for us this morning? And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.